Before we go to the Lord in prayer, just a couple items to update your own prayer sheets with in your bulletin. Uh, I just found out last night, I got word from George Matthewson that Trudy was taken to the emergency room again last night uh, with pneumonia and uh, still the kidney issues. Her numbers are are higher than they want to see. So we want to continue to uplift George and Trudy Matthewson in prayer. And then the other one I just learned about this morning as I came in, our own Kenny Jernigan. Uh, has hurt his back and his hip, I think, is really in a lot of pain. Uh, so this is a, a very recent thing. Uh, so the, the prayer request for that is just that he would be able to get in and that he would be seen as soon as possible. So uh, that's why he's not with us this morning. But let's go to the Lord in prayer, shall we? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Father, we thank you for being a good father. While not all of us have had good examples in our earthly fathers, we thank you that you are our perfect father who knows how to give good gifts to your children. While the wisdom of this world teaches us to see our glasses as half full and not half empty, We thank you that in Christ we have so much more. The gospel reality is this, that our glasses were once full, full of the wrath of God that we deserve for our rebellion against you. And yet, the cup of your wrath was poured out on Christ instead of us. And if we were to be given an empty glass, we should rejoice. But in Christ... Our glasses are full to the brim and overflowing with your loving kindness. The truth is that you have blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. One of your great gifts that you've given us is access, access to your throne to bring our burdens to you in prayer. And this morning we, we continue to ask you, God, we ask that the Holy Spirit would move in the hearts of those in our community, our neighbors and friends, our co-workers and classmates. Open the eyes of their hearts to behold the glory of God and Jesus Christ. May they know your great love for them and their utter need for you. Father, as nominations for deacon open today, we ask that you would raise up more workers for the harvest. Impress it upon the hearts of this body to guide them to who you would have served this body as deacons. God, we thank you for the recent update from our missionary partners, the Palmers. We thank you that, uh, or for the incredible work that you're doing through them in, in the village in which they serve. We pray that you would advance their work to complete a translation of the Bible in the native language of that tribe. And we especially lift up to you a woman in the village who is suffering persecution from her unbelieving husband. Lord, may you protect this woman and open the eyes of her husband to his need for Jesus. Lord, as we seek to reach our immediate community, we ask that this body would be generous as we collect coats and other winter clothing items for those who need them most this winter. We pray 
that the volunteers with taking it to the streets would distribute these items with compassion and with love in the name of Christ and many and may meeting practical needs like this draw many to faith in Christ father we ask that you would continue to to meet and exceed our financial needs as a church through the generous giving of your people we pray that you would meet the need for a new gym floor that our Thrive Sports Ministry can use to serve youth and families in our community in a safe and, and fun facility. We also pray that many would sign up for the upcoming basketball outreach clinics. May this be a tool to meet more families and that the doors to sharing the gospel would be opened wide. God, we lift up the, those to you in our body who are struggling physically. May you be a rock of refuge for them and a great comfort to them as they suffer in various ways. We ask for their complete healing, but even more, we pray that you would be glorified in their trials. We pray for Trudy this morning, who's back in the ER with pneumonia and more kidney issues. Father, we pray that you would heal her Father, we pray that you would uh, show her your glory in the midst of her trials and that she would be a witness and a testimony to those caring for her. Father, we pray for Ken Jernigan suffering with back and hip pain this morning. We pray that he would be able to see a doctor as soon as possible and that that doctor would have wisdom to know how to help him. Father, we pray for Marie Matzik's daughter, Alicia, who's experienced difficulties with her heart this last week. God, we pray that you would heal her and that you would uh, help her to get the, uh, the treatment and the care that she needs. And Father, we pray for Lee Konikowski for the pain that she's been experiencing following her recent heart surgery. God, we pray that you would bring her back to full health. But again, teach her to see your glory in the midst of her trials. And finally, Lord, we ask that as members of this body, we would together know you more fully through your word and that we would grow in our love for Jesus every day, becoming bolder and more compassionate in our witness to others as we seek to make Christ known in our community. Father, we ask all of these things in Christ's name. Amen. At this time, I'd like to invite the ushers to come forward to take up this morning's offering, and we encourage you to, to give to the mission of our church, to make the gospel known in our community, and to make disciples of all nations. Uh, and part of your giving goes to, of course, support that, that, uh, that mission, but it also goes to support our missionary partners all around the world uh, who are on mission with us toward that same end. So give generously.
Please stand with me and join me in giving thanks for these gifts as we sing the doxology. Father, it is with a thankful heart that we lay these gifts at your altar. And we remember that everything that is given to us is through your mighty and gracious and precious holy hand, Father. I pray that these gifts would honor you this morning as we work together as a body of believers in spreading the gospel in this community and throughout the far reaches of the world, Father. Accept our offering, Father, and may we have joyful and cheerful hearts as we continue to serve you and to serve others. In your most holy, precious name, we pray. Amen. The children may now be dismissed for Children's Church. As the children are racing from the sanctuary, uh, I just got an update from Brett, actually, as I stepped off the platform a moment ago, uh, an update regarding Steve Phillips. Many of you uh, have been around for a while would know that Andrea Phillips uh, was our former uh, music director here, uh, Steve, uh, up in the sound booth. Uh, well, last week, Steve was taken to the hospital. He, he contracted some sort of virus that uh, quickly worsened, turned into pneumonia. Uh, they discovered some heart issues. Uh, so he's improving, from what I understand, uh, but there's still work to be done to determine what the, the nature of those heart issues are and how to treat him. So uh, please add that to your prayer list. And uh, I'll pray for him uh, right now before we uh, go to the Word together. Uh, Lord Jesus, uh, we lift up to you the Phillips family, Steve and Andrea. God, we pray that you would uh, surround them uh, with your comfort uh, as they walk through this, this trial. Father, we pray that they would know your nearness. God, we pray for wisdom for those doctors providing care for Steve. God, that you would give them uh, the wisdom and insight needed uh, to treat him properly. God, we thank you that you are the great physician and know every molecule of our bodies inside and out and better than any doctor ever could. So, Father, we pray for special insight for those doctors from you. And, God, we pray that Steve would be a testimony and that this, uh, this trial would be served to glorify you, Jesus, uh, and, and bring others to you. So, God, we pray that uh, you would uh, work mightily through Steve and Andrea uh, through this trial. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I heard a, a comedian a while back talking about youth sports and how winning doesn't really prepare a kid for the real world. 
he pointed out that uh, this is because as adults, we do a lot more losing than we do winning in real life. Anyone relate to that? Of course, none of us plans on losing. The plan is always to win, right? Whether, whether it's a board game or a soccer game, a, a big test, a business proposal, a sales pitch, or maybe something more heavy like a car accident or a broken marriage or a cancer diagnosis. In painful times like these, we turn to the Lord and we plead for His help, and rightly so. We ask Him to intervene. We ask Him to heal. But you don't always get the answer you want. And in your grief may come seasons of doubt and questions like, where are you, God? And why didn't you fix this? Why didn't you answer my prayer? How would we make sense of times when God's plans are not your plans? Well, our text today will shed some light on this, and I'd like to go there now. So please turn with me to John chapter 11. We're going to read from 1 to 44 today. If you need to use a pew Bible, you'll find today's text on page 1066. Once you're there, I'd like to invite you to please stand with me if you're able and follow along with me as I read. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then, after this, he said to his disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? And Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he'll recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking a rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. 
Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and he's calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take the stone away. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to him, unbind him and let him go. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, all scripture is breathed out by you and is both for our good and for your glory. May the evil one not snatch it away. May the scorching heat of persecution not turn us from it. May the cares and comforts of the world not choke it out. Instead, may our hearts be good soil that hears and understands and bears fruit 30, 60, and 100-fold for your glory and our good. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. So here we see a family that Jesus had a close relationship with in crisis. Mary and Martha's brother Lazarus is, is seriously sick. And things don't go according to their plan, but they end up seeing that in the end, Jesus was doing something far bigger and far better than they could ever have imagined. 
The plan for this sermon is to work through this narrative, seeing what this reveals to us about Jesus in the mysterious ways in which he sometimes works in our lives. And to help us see this, I've broken the narrative up into uh, three sections that I'm calling the, the plan, the pain, and the purpose. So let's look at scene one now, the plan. Mary and Martha knew Jesus well. You could say that they were close family friends. They were also uh, people of deep faith in Jesus. They were committed followers. And so when their brother is on his deathbed, they think to themselves, we know a guy. And so their plan in verse 3 is to call in a favor from a powerful friend. But notice that Jesus' response is not what you would expect, and certainly not what they might have expected. After receiving the news about Lazarus, Jesus responds by saying that this illness will not lead to death. But it's confusing because 10 verses later, Jesus tells his disciples that Lazarus has died. And next, notice his odd lack of haste. In verse 6, after hearing of Lazarus's condition, he decides to stay where he is for two more days. And Jesus is already about a four-day journey from where Lazarus lived. And given Jesus' friendship with his family, you'd expect some more urgency, perhaps, on Jesus' part, that he would rush to the aid of his friends. After all, Lazarus is described as the one he loves. The one he loves. But Jesus is not shaken by this news because he knows the plan. But it's not Mary and Martha's plan. Jesus says that it's for the glory of God. And we're going to unpack that later in our last point. But notice now in verses 5 and 6 how John connects some dots for us that we typically would never connect on our own. He directly ties Jesus' love for his friend to his purposeful delay in coming to see him. And this just feels completely backwards to what we would expect. It's confusing to us. And think now about your own life and the times when you've pleaded for the Lord's help in times of your need. His delays are confusing and rarely feel loving in the moment. This is the experience of of Mary and Martha. We live in an age of of immediate gratification. We want our answers on on our timeline, on our timetable. And God does not always give us reasons for his delays or for the answers that he gives that we don't want to hear. But John makes very clear that the reason for Jesus' delay is because of his love. So we must be careful not to interpret the Lord's delayed or unsatisfied answers to our prayers as uncaring. We need only to turn to this story to remind ourselves that Jesus' delays in our lives, while we may not know why, and we may never know why on this side of eternity, are actually evidence of his love for us. Now, when Jesus determines that it's finally time to go see his friends, this does not fit his disciples' plan now. 
They remind Jesus in verse 8 that he's going back to the same place where he's a wanted man. They're trying to kill you there, Jesus. Are you sure we should be going back there? And in verses 9 and 10, Jesus uses the daylight hours as a metaphor to teach his disciples that as long as God has work for us to do, then our lives will not be taken from us. This is a subtle rebuke from Jesus. Essentially, he's saying, thank you for your concern, but I have nothing to worry about. The daylight of Jesus' earthly ministry is certainly waning at this point in John's gospel, but there is still time to do the work of the Lord. There's still time to go see his friends. On occasion, I hear uh, this expression, mostly by older saints who've lived a good long life and are very much ready to go home to be with the Lord. And the expression is this, I'm not sure why God still has me around. And the answer is that he still has work for you to do. It's still daylight for you. And he won't take you home a millisecond too early or a millisecond too late. As soon as your assignment's up on earth, he will take you in his time. But until that time comes, you have work to do. It is still daylight for you. The question is, what is the good that God wants you to do in this final chapter of your life? Perhaps um, you, you won't have the same kind of work that you did in your 30s and 40s. Perhaps your work could be writing notes of encouragement to younger saints or to missionaries or maybe a a very intentional prayer ministry for your church or for your unsaved neighbors. This is significant work. What other work might God have for you to do? Another thing this means is that no matter the stage of life you're in, you ever think of this? You're invincible. So long as God has work for you to do, and when your work is done, he'll call you home, but not a millisecond too early. So that means that as long as God has work for you to do, you're untouchable. Nothing is going to touch you because God has work for you to do. Now, that doesn't mean that your life will be easy or that you'll live a trouble-free life, but you shouldn't fear for your life for as long as God has you here to do his, his work. And you can take comfort in knowing that God will not take you home a second too early or a second too late because he's got work for you to do. Now, to encourage boldness, Jesus makes another point in verses 11 to 14, where he likens death to sleep. He's trying to teach his disciples that death is not to be feared. Death is no worse than sleep, and there's no reason to fear sleep. It's no harder for Jesus to wake someone from death than it is for us to rouse a person from a nap. On second thought, I have some kids who are terribly heavy sleepers, so it's probably easier for Jesus to wake someone from the dead than it is for me to wake one of my kids from a nap. And this prompts Thomas to make this statement to the other disciples, all right, let's go with them. We're going to die with them. Let's go. Let's go face the music. They're, They're waiting for us. Now, it's, it's very uh, easy. Th- Thomas gets a bad rap, right, for his doubting the resurrection later in this gospel. Uh, and you could take this statement uh, from Thomas negatively, and maybe we should. 
but he's actually being logical. He's, he's not uh, too far out there to, to come to the conclusions that he is. It's very reasonable to suggest that going back to Jerusalem, the, the area where they were just trying to stone him would result in their deaths. The threat was real. In fact, eventually Jesus would be crucified and all but one of his disciples would be killed for their faith in Jesus. But here's the thing. Your reason and logic cannot always account for the plan and the power of God. I think that too often many take the posture of Thomas here and are held back from really living out their faith until they can figure it all out. And I wonder how many, how many miss out on seeing God do something truly incredible because their logic and their reason holds them back. So take some risks, church. God's plan will not always be the one you want, the one that makes the most sense to you, or the one that feels safe. But we can walk in faithfulness knowing that his plan is always for our good and for his glory. And now let's move on to scene two, the pain. By the time Jesus arrives, his friend Lazarus has already been dead for four days. There's no mistaking at this point that he is in fact dead. And a good number of mourners come to comfort the family and they're all there at the home. And Mary and Martha conclude that Jesus was too late. He didn't get there in time. Notice that in verses 21 and 32, the initial greetings that, that Jesus receives from both Mary and Martha are identical. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And this makes me wonder. Four days have gone by. Six days since Jesus initially heard the, the news. Almost a week has gone by since Jesus heard the news. It makes me wonder how many times in their grief they had discussed this while they waited for Jesus to arrive. They were so sure that Jesus would show up and heal their brother. This was their plan, but Jesus didn't show up, and it hurt. In the midst of their pain, Jesus says two things. <clears throat> we'll consider the first one in this point before we move on to my final point. Here, notice how in verses 33 to 38, Jesus enters into their suffering. And what's amazing here is that Jesus knows what he's about to do, and he, he still takes time to join with them in their pain. He still takes time to sit with them in their grief before he fixes their problem. He enters their grief before he expels it. The Apostle Paul commands followers of Jesus to do this in, in Romans 12. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. We reflect the heart of Jesus so clearly when we weep with those who weep and not just go in there spouting off reasons why they shouldn't be weeping because of our hope in Christ. We love others well when we love them like Jesus 
when we love them enough to enter into their suffering and into their pain. We can't be afraid to enter other people's pain. We must not shy away from what is uncomfortable. And we must try not to gloss over the real pain of living in a world that's broken by sin. So pray for a heart that breaks with heaviness when others suffer. We also see the raw emotions of Jesus here and and, and know that while Jesus is 100% God, he's not um, a robot. He sees the end from the beginning and amazingly allows himself to feel deeply, and so should we. Jesus was also 100% man. And so whatever it means to be human, it does not exclude feelings and emotion. The fact that you feel grief and mourning does not make you weak or any less of a Christian. In fact, you could argue quite the opposite. So as much as Jesus knew the plan, he still showed love and compassion by entering into their grief. Now finally, let's move on to scene three and get a glimpse of God's purpose in all of this. It's important at this point to remember what John means when he uses the word glory in his gospel. It is not synonymous with praise or worship. John uses glory to mean specifically revealing, revealing. And so when Jesus says in verse 4 that the purpose of Lazarus' death is that Christ would be glorified through it, what he means is that something of the true nature of God will be revealed or made clearly known through this. So what is that? Now, some may accuse Jesus of being... uh, an uncaring egomaniac, that he would use the death of a person that brings great grief to others all so that he can show off who he is? I mean, what kind of, what kind of God is that? But remember in verse 5, it teaches us that this is a loving thing for Jesus to do. And so how do we make sense of that? In verse 15, it says that he was glad for the way that his plan was unfolding. This does not make Jesus an insecure, needy, attention-starved person, and here's why. Because if God is the essence of pure beauty and life and goodness, then the greatest joy anyone can ever know is to see Christ revealed for who he truly is. That's the greatest good that anyone could ever know. And so the most loving thing for God to do is to reveal himself to his people because it will bring them the deepest joy and the deepest delight. Even if it means they have to experience some pain to get there. Think about the difference between hearing a song on the radio versus being in the front row at that artist's concert. I'm going to date myself a little bit right now, but I'd loved, I've never seen U2 in concert. I'd love to see U2 in concert. Uh, their, greatest, their greatness is revealed more spectacularly live in concert than it is on the radio. 
Think about if you were offered front row tickets to see your favorite band in concert. Would you turn it down and argue, I can just stay at home and listen to it on the radio. It's the same thing. Or if someone offered you tickets to the Super Bowl, "Eh, I can just watch it on TV. It's not a big deal. Same thing, right? No. So when Jesus is glorified in John's gospel, it's as if John is trying to move you closer and closer to the front row that you may know and experience him for who he truly is in all of his beauty and in all of his goodness. And that only increases your joy exponentially. Now, related to this is the fact that when Jesus' beauty and goodness is revealed to a person, it it compels belief. We see in, in verse 15 where Jesus says that these things are happening the way they are so that you may believe. There's been a many decades long ministry philosophy debate about the purpose of a weekly worship service like this one. Some argue that the purpose of the worship service is for people who are already believers to come and worship and to be edified. Others argue, no, the purpose of the worship service is to evangelize the lost. Everything about the weekly service should be tailored with great sensitivity to make an unsaved friend that you may invite feel comfortable here. And others maybe try to mix and balance the two or or something to that effect. Well, this text gives us a third option that accomplishes both of these goals, and it's exalting Christ. This is our aim, week in and week out, to exalt Christ. And when Christ is exalted, believers are edified in their faith and strengthened, and the unsaved are compelled to saving faith. When we exalt Christ, we edify and we evangelize. So the goal of everything we do here on a Sunday morning is to help move every single person here closer and closer to the front row to behold the beauty of Christ that stimulates and grows your faith for your maximum joy. Now let's take a look at what this text reveals to us about Jesus. In verse 25, Jesus declares that he is the resurrection and the life. And then in verse 43 and 44, Jesus demonstrates that he is, in fact, the resurrection and the life. It's not just words. He's backing it up with action. And now here's the astonishing thing about this. Resurrection and life are not just things that Jesus has and that he gives. It's who he is. This is one way in which Jesus is different from us. We have life, and life can be taken from us. But Jesus doesn't have life. He is life. Jesus doesn't say that I, I can resurrect people or give life. He is resurrection and he is life. That means that our hope is not in any event, but it's in the person of Jesus Christ. Just like when you drop some dish soap 
into some greasy water. You ever do that? And you see how it just repels the grease, it just spreads it out because of the presence of, of the dish soap. So when Jesus is, who is the resurrection and the life, when he's around death, it's repelled. It's because of who he is. And this is why I think Jesus says in verse 15 that he was glad that he was not there when Lazarus was dying because he knows that for him to be in that close proximity to death would have chased death from Lazarus and wouldn't have given him the opportunity to display who he truly is. Mary and Martha were right. Their brother would not have died if Jesus were there. And this is why Jesus delayed his coming. We see this most clearly as Peter preached the gospel at uh, at Pentecost in Acts 2. He says to the Gentiles, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Did you ever notice that before? Why did Jesus rise from the dead? Because it wasn't possible for him to stay dead. Because he is the resurrection and he is the life. And so, as Jesus approached the tomb of Lazarus, this showdown between Jesus and death is almost laughably anticlimactic. It wasn't a fair fight. This is a massive mismatch heavily heavily in favor of Jesus that wasn't even close. I absolutely love Spurgeon's comments here on on Jesus calling Lazarus out of the tomb. He argues that that Jesus the reason Jesus called Lazarus out by name is because he was so powerful that to do otherwise would have called every dead body within the earshot of his voice to rise to such is the power of him who is the resurrection and the life. Now, following the perfect logic of Jesus in verses 25 and 26, if you believe in him who is the resurrection and the life, you are united with him. Christ is in you. Paul says, this much in Colossians, to the Colossian church. He says, to them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Imagine that you had a life jacket securely fastened to you and and someone were to push you under the water. Your union to that life jacket would ensure that its buoyancy would immediately thrust you to the surface. And by faith, your union with Christ is far greater, for he is not just on you, he's in you. And you are more secure in Christ than with any life jacket. Because of this, Jesus makes two points here. If you are united to Christ by faith, then even though your body may one day die, your body will be raised. Just as that life jacket would thrust you to the surface of the water, death cannot hold you down. If you are united to Christ, who is the resurrection and the life. And Jesus' second point is that eternal life, this eternal life that he gives you by faith is something that you have now. 
eternal life for the believer is not something that you will get one day in the future. Your soul has been made alive by faith now and will continue on even though your body dies. That's the life that continues on even though you die. So Jesus' question to Martha is this question, and I conclude with this. Do you believe this? Christian, has your heart drifted in belief? Repent and turn back to Jesus. Unsaved person, non-Christian, if you have seen the glory of Christ this morning, stop living your life for yourself and come to Jesus. Trust Jesus, the resurrection and the life, to save you from sin and death. The one who loves you more deeply than anyone ever could, and whose plan is more perfect than anything you could ever devise. If you believe this, though your body may die, Jesus will come for you, just as he came for Lazarus, and he will rouse you from your sleep in victorious fashion. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for the tremendous gift that you've given us. Thank you that you don't just give us resurrection and life, but that you are resurrection and life, and that you've given us yourself. Father, I pray that uh, should the eyes of any unsaved here be open this morning, that they would come to Jesus. And Father, for those of us who've, who've been walking with you for some time, who've, who've gotten off track, God, help us to repent where we need to and to put our belief squarely in you, Jesus. God, we thank you. Uh, this life is something that we can enjoy now, and it's not something that we have to wait for someday in the future, but eternal life starts now because we have Jesus now. And we thank you that nothing can ever take it from us. Someone may perhaps be able to rip a life jacket off of us, but no one can ever take Christ out of us. We thank you for the security that we have in Jesus. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.